Well, good evening, Mercy Culture. So good to see you guys here tonight. Um, we have worship services like that, and then everybody looks at me like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Um, we're going to, I'm going to do my best to minister the word tonight, but uh, I believe God has laid something on my heart for us tonight. How many of you are excited about the women's conferences coming up? I'm going to try to sneak in, maybe hide in the balcony. I don't think there's going to be room for me, but the women's conference will be at our Fort Worth location, and you can get more information about that at mercyculturewaco.com, and there's a little events tab, and you can get all the information there, but I would register for that quickly if I were you, because it's going to fill up. We're super excited about that. Um, it's such an honor to be here. My name is Les, and I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. It's an honor and privilege to be with you guys here tonight. How many of you enjoyed that worship, that encounter that we just had? So grateful for our worship team for stewarding that so beautifully. But here at Mercy Culture Church, uh, we exist to take people from corporate encounters with God like we just had to daily personal encounters with God. And what that means is that it was never our goal to have a big church. And it was never Mercy Culture's goal to have just have great corporate encounters. But we believe that the key to longevity, the key to legacy in our Christian walk, is when we can encounter the presence of God just like we did corporately every single day. In our homes, in our cars, at our desks, at work. Some of us got to crawl into the closet because we have five kids. <laughs> Can I get an amen? It's my wife down there. Some of, you know, we got to do what we got to do. And... Uh, it's such, an, it's, it's such a key to the success and what we've seen God doing here at Mercy Culture Church. The, the presence of God that you feel on this stage and that you feel when you come here, it wasn't just by accident. It wasn't just cultivated right here five minutes before church started. No, it's because there's a room full of people who are encountering God's presence every single day and who come into this tent filled up completely filled up and overflowing and ready to connect with the Lord. I believe that the church has done a disservice to many of us for many years in teaching us that there's only one way to connect with God, and that's the way the worship pastor or the lead pastor connects with the Lord. But we believe that there are, there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. But through Jesus, there are many ways that we can connect with God. And some of us connect with God through solitude, and some through movement, and some through worship. And there's so many ways that we can connect with the Lord. And MC Connect is the way that we help disciple you and, and help you to discover how you best connect with God. If you text CONNECT to that number 59090, you're going to get uh, a link sent back to you, and you can watch some videos online. It's super simple, an hour tops it'll take you. You learn about the vision, about the values, the unique characteristics, and the leadership standards. Mercy Culture Church, you're going to hear our story. My wife and I are going to hear the story of our founders, Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather Schott, and what, how we got from Fort Worth to Waco and all of that stuff. And you're going to take an assessment that will help you figure out the best way that you connect with God. And then the coolest part of MC Connect is that you have a one-on-one -on -one appointment, either you alone or you with your spouse, with one of our connectors. 
And these are the people within our community that have a gift of prophecy over their lives. They will pray for you. They will fast for you. They will come ready to have a word for you, give you your personalized daily encounter plan, and give you a prophetic word that will change your life. So if you haven't done that yet, don't be a six-month visitor, even though we're only six weeks old. Don't be a six-week visitor. Just text, connect, let's go. Come on, let's do it. All right. Next week, I'm really excited. Next week, we are having a worship night and social hour. Come on. We're just going to worship God, just get into the glory, and then right after that, we have a courtyard that we're finishing up out here with lights. We're going to have a food truck. Hey. We're going to have food, we're going to have fun, we're going to have music, we're going to have games for the kids, a bounce house, it's going to be a lot of fun. But first, we're going to get in the glory. It's going to be awesome. If you'd like to text notes, you can text the word notes to 59090 and get what's in front of me will be sent to you. Let's start at Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it at a distance outside the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Then wherever Moses went out, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand at the entrances of their own tents and watch Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses entered, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up and worship each one at the entrance to his own tent. Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, say face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. We're, we're, complete, we're continuing our sermon series, expanding territory through the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk today about the gift of miracles. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we... We acknowledge that you are already in this room tonight. Lord Jesus, your presence is so tangible and evident here. Lord, I pray that as I minister tonight, that no one would even hear my voice. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice. None of us came to hear me. We all came to hear you. Lord, we lay down, I lay down at the altar, performance, comparison, and the need to impress. Father, just let me deliver your words tonight. We say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in 2022, we have a prophetic word over our house. And the word for this year, it's the year of expanding territory. I hope that you've been praying First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10 over your family every day of your life. But if you haven't, I encourage you to do it. It says this, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge and expand my territory and that your hand of favor might be upon me, that you would keep us from all harm and evil, that it might not bring us pain. And God granted what he asked. And this year of supernatural expanding of territory, we believe that you are going to grow spiritually. You're going to expand spiritual territory. You're going to grow in spiritual strength. How do you expand spiritual territory? You, you, you expand it through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And just like the disciples encountered Jesus, you can encounter Jesus through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
But I've got a warning for you. I do this every week. I'm going to keep doing it. The same spirit that resisted Jesus when he walked upon the earth is the same spirit and community that resists the Holy Spirit today. That is the spirit of religion. Come on, I heard some sighs because some of y'all faced it. That's the spirit of religion. That spirit of religion has never left the earth. That same spirit spoke through the Pharisees and the Sadducees and tried to tell Jesus, you can't heal on this day and you didn't wash your hands right in this way. You didn't take three steps and hop four times and say this thing and do this, that, and the other and tried to prevent Jesus from ministering. That same spirit will try to resist the move of the Holy Spirit today. What are the gifts of the Spirit? There are nine of them. They're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and they are this. I'll give you a quick and simple definition for each one. There's the gift of wisdom, the supernatural application of God's word. The gift of knowledge. It's the supernatural ability to know and understand the mysteries of heaven and earth. Of faith, the ability to believe God for the impossible. Healing, the journey of wholeness of a person's mind, body, or spirit to operate in the way God intended. Miracles or supernatural power. It's the manifestation of the impossible. Prophecy, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to edify, warn, announce, or reveal the future. Discerning between the spirits, the ability to know by what spirit a person is motivated, the ability to know what spirit is in operation. Tongues, the ability to pray the mysteries of God and strengthen the spirit of a man through a heavenly language. And the interpretation of tongues, the supernatural ability to understand and receive revelation from a language you did not learn. I'm going to set the foundation before we dive into this particular gift, the gift of miracles and supernatural power. But I want to talk about the five W's of the gifts of the Spirit. So who are they for? They're for everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone. What are the gifts of the Spirit? They are spiritual tools to advance the kingdom. Or we say it like this. They're tools to expand territory. And where are the gifts from? They're from God. When were they given? These gifts were given after Jesus ascended. They were given at the day of Pentecost. And why are they important? It is the power to expand spiritual territory. I don't know how you raise kids without the gifts of the Spirit. My son said one time, he was about 14 years old, and and he came home from a party, and I knew, or it was a little, it wasn't a party, it was 14. Don't get it twisted. I don't let my 14-year-old go to no party. He came home from a, from a time with his friends. And I knew something was off. I just knew in my spirit. I was having a daily encounter, and the Lord showed me. So I went to his room. I sat down. I said, son, what happened? He's just looking at me. I said, it's okay. I love you. You can be honest. The Lord's spoken to me. What happened? He opened up. He told me it was this beautiful moment. We learned about listening from the Lord. It was awesome. We prayed together. It wasn't anything big. Don't worry. It was beautiful. And then later on, he came to me and he goes, you know what, dad? It's really not fair having prophetic parents. So it's like parenting in 3D. It's just, it's not fair. I said, well, get over it. 
Listen, the rejection of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a strategy from Satan to keep you from expanding spiritual territory. If you hear people talking about the gifts of the Spirit and something inside of you is bothered, whatever gift it is, for some people it's the gift of prophecy and something just bristles. For some people you talk about speaking in tongues and they're ready to bounce, they're frustrated, they're upset. For other people it's the gift of discerning between the spirits. Whatever it is, if you feel resistance, I encourage you lean into that gift. More than anything, seek after that gift. Say, man, something inside of me, this bothers me. But the spirit of religion, that foul, lying, demonic spirit will not take root in my life. And I refuse to give into that spirit, so I'm going to lean in to that thing that bothers me. They talk about praying in the Holy Ghost, it bothers me. I'm going to ask Jesus, give me my prayer language. They talk about prophecy. It bothers me. I've been hurt by prophecy in the past. Some spiritists, that's okay. I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, give me words of prophecy as I walk down the aisles of H-E-B. Come on. Somebody thank God for H-E-B. It's one of the mo- that's one of the most beautiful blessings of moving to Waco. H-E-B. Praise God. All right, let's talk about miracles. Miracles are simply the manifestation of the impossible. The Greek word for miracles is dynameon, and it means from dunamai, force, miraculous power, might, strength. The actual translation means the energy of dynamite. Ah, Miracles, the spirit, the gift of miracles or the working of miracles is the energy of dynamite. It is a physical power, a force, might, ability, efficacy, energy. Powerful deeds, deeds showing physical power are marvelous works. How many would like to operate in the gift of the working of miracles? Simplified, that's a long definition. A simplified definition is simply, it is supernatural. And that just means that miracles allow you to do what is beyond your ability. Miracles are needed when you don't know what to do. Anybody ever been in a situation where you don't know what to do? If you haven't, I'd love to meet with you right here at the end of service because i got to get your secret. I've been in situations where I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. I was in Bible college, and uh, I was broke. Not broke like some of y'all. I'm talking about broke with a capital B. Like, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was broke. As my grandfather would say, poor as Job's turkey. I don't know what that means, but it's a southernism, and, and uh, I was that poor. I was broke, and I was driving, and I was going to actually sing and minister at this church a friend invited me to, and I was in a rough part of town in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, rough, and I'm driving in my little car, and I'm, I'm praying, and, and my gas is on empty. I mean, it's sputtering, and, and I'm praying, and you, you, you want to get the gift of the Holy Spirit? Be driving in a rough part of Columbus, Ohio, run out of gas. You'll start praying in tongues real quick. I'm praying. I'm asking God, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And this guy comes up and knocks on my passenger side window. Knock, knock, knock. And he looks down. He goes, hey, man, give me a ride. He said, give me. He didn't ask. He told me, give me a ride. I said, I rolled the crack the window that much. You know that much? Um, I, I, I don't even know where I'm going, sir. I, I don't have much gas. I'm sorry. And I look over to grab something, and then he's in my car. Now, I thought the door was locked. He's in my car. And he goes, 
And I look, you know, I'm startled. I say, oh, I'm like 18. I think barely 18 years old. Been 18 for about three weeks. I'm scared to death. Look at the guy and he goes, you, you don't have to be scared. Just drive me. Just drive. I'll tell you where to go. I mean, he was not friendly. And I'm shaking. I'm like, I'm a, well, I'm going to get stabbed. That's it. I'm going to get stabbed today. I'm going to die today. And so I'm driving, and he says, pull over right here. And I pull over. He gets out. He comes back. And I'm like, I made it. And then he comes back around to the driver's side. He knocks on my window. I roll it down. He hands me a $50 bill. He said, thank you, and walks off. That was a miracle. I know it's a funny story, but I believe that that was an angelic visitation. It's one of those moments where I was, I, I, I joked about it, but I was seriously leaning into the provision of the Lord. I was asking God to teach me how to trust him. I was asking the Lord to lay a foundation in my life at 18 that I could live on for the rest of my life, that I could minister and build the kingdom and do what God's called me to do and believe him for the miraculous power. And he showed up when I needed him the most. See, there are miracles and then there are the working of miracles. And miracles are simply a revelation of the omnipotence of God. There are many stories in the word that I could choose from to illustrate to you what a miracle is. But I want to talk about Balaam's donkey mainly because I love this story. The story of Balaam's donkey is hilarious. If you don't know this story, good, settle in. It's going to be great. So Balaam was a non-Israelite prophet. What does that mean? He had no relationship with God. He did not understand the relationship that the, the children of Israel had with the Lord. He didn't have a revelation of, of, uh, of God. He didn't know who Jehovah was. And he was paid by the king of Moab, Balak, to go and prophesy evil and destruction over the people of Israel. So Balaam had a gift. He had a gift of prophecy. I want to warn you guys of something. People may operate in a gift without a relationship with the Lord. There are some gifts that go without repentance. There are gifts that people, just because somebody gives you insight into your life doesn't mean they're prophesying the word of the Lord. Just because somebody can speak something over you doesn't mean they have the character or the relationship with God to back it up. Don't receive every word that you get. And so Balak had paid, or, yeah, Balak had paid Balaam to go and deliver a word of destruction over Israel. In Numbers chapter 22, verses 21 through 30, it says this. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Now, here's the story. Let me paint the picture for you. Balaam is riding along on this donkey, and the donkey sees an angel holding a flaming sword standing in front of him. I don't know if you've ever read a description of what angels look like in the Bible, but they are not cute little fat babies flying around with little tiny wings. You know, they're not, they don't have a bow and arrow ready to ding, shoot you. That's not an angel. Angels are terrifying. They look scary. And this donkey sees this angel standing in the road. And he said, he bolted out into the field, as would I. 
and Balaam beat the donkey and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord removed, moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it laid down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. And the donkey looked at Balaam and said, What have I done to you to deserve your beating me three times? And Balaam answered him. He shouted, the Bible says, You have made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. And this is my question. That's what you said to the donkey? first thing I would have said to the donkey is, did you just talk to me? <laughs> not, you made, I'm not reasoning with the donkey. You made me look like a fool. No, I would have been running into the field. He said, but am I the same donkey you've ridden all your life? Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. <laughs> so here we have Balaam and the donkey just chatting it up having a cup of coffee, just, just relaxing, talking. And that is a miracle. And there are many things we can learn from this story. One thing is just because a person can talk doesn't mean they're not a donkey. So the working of miracles. Now let's move on from, from the performing of a miracle to the working of miracles. The working of miracles is when a miracle is performed through a person. I love this story, the story of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took the sheep from the flock. And I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David had a history of the working of miracles. I don't know what I would prefer. No, I do know what I'd prefer. I'd much rather talk to a donkey than fight a lion with my bare hands. And see, David had faced the lion and the bear. And God came upon him and he worked a miracle. Grabbing a lion by its mane and killing that lion with your bare hands is miraculous. If you don't think it's miraculous, go and try it. Don't go and try it. Please don't go to the Cameron Park Zoo. David worked a miracle with his hands. Why? How? Because David had history with the Lord. David was a worshiper. David dwelled in the glory of God. And David built a history with God of working in the miraculous. So when he showed up to the front line of the battle and there was a giant standing before all of the armies of Israel and no one would go and face the giant, David said, hold on just a second. I've got a history with God. I've got a history of the working of miracles. I know God delivered me from the lion. He delivered me from the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine is nothing. He will, he will face the same fate as, as those that have come before him. 
Let's talk about the difference between faith or healing and miracles. We get these confused often. You see, if David had stood to the side and commanded the lion to drop dead, if he said, lion drop dead and the lion died, that would have been the working of faith. Jesus said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and it shall be done. As you said it, that is the working of faith. But because, uh, but because God used the actions of David's hands, it was a working of a miracle. Because God did through David what was beyond his ability. He did the impossible through David. You see, healing requires that you have faith, but the working of miracles requires that you walk in God's glory. Faith works for you and miracles work through you. Many people in the Bible were healed through faith and what they heard about God, but no one worked miracles without a personal relationship with God. We see this story of the woman with the issue of blood. She, she made her way through the crowd and she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus because she had faith in Jesus simply by what she had heard about him. In Mark chapter 5, it says a woman in the crowd had suffered 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd only gotten worse. And she had heard about Jesus. Say, about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his garment, then I will be healed. And the Bible says, immediately, the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of the terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. That word power is that same word that means the energy of dynamite. It was the working of miracles. She had faith, but Jesus performed the miracle. She had faith in what she knew about him, but the miracle worker had to have a relationship with the source of the miraculous power. Jesus goes on to say, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. We see the story of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the land of Israel. And at the time, there was an evil king that oversaw this land. And he had a wife named Jezebel. And Jezebel worshipped the false god of Baal. And sometimes we read the Bible and we think that these false gods are cute little idols and gods. But family, this was a vile, disgusting demon. The worship of Baal consisted of cutting yourself and bleeding. It consisted of sexual acts that, would, that they would take place, that they would perform in the temple before the idols of Baal. It consisted of... of the sacrifice of children and babies. It consisted of prostitution. It was vile. It was disgusting. And it was terrifying. Elijah wasn't facing some powerless, weak people. He was facing the queen of the land who could have him murdered in an instant with just the mention 
of her voice. All she had to do was say it. And Elijah had to be fearful for his life. And he asked God, God, what do I do in the face of these prophets of Baal? And God told him to issue a challenge to these false prophets. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 36. It says, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar. See, Elijah had told these prophets of Baal, come down to the place that you sacrifice. And whosoever God rains down fire and consumes the sacrifice is the true and living God. But Elijah didn't just stop there. He told them, dig a trench around this altar and bring buckets of water and pour water over the altar and let the water fill the trenches. Make it more and more difficult and difficult for, the, for fire to fall and ignite this altar. And he cried out to the Lord. He said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Then he says something interesting. He said, and let it be known that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. You see, Elijah had a relationship with God. Elijah just didn't decide one day, I'm just going to do something miraculous. No, he had cultivated relationship with the Lord. He knew the voice of God. He was the servant of his father. And he said, answer me, O Lord. Answer so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back again. And then in 38, it says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked it up. And the people were amazed, and they knew at that moment that this God was the true and living God. You see, Elijah knew that miracle working power wasn't so he could perform magic tricks. Miracles are not for you. They are for the king. Now, what do, a miracle, what do miracles do? They establish authority in Hebrews chapter 3 verse Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 it says it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will so God bore witness to those that he had called by what by the working of miracles through signs and wonders. We see this in the story of Moses and Aaron. And Moses was scared. And Moses, God spoke to Moses in the wilderness and said, I want you to go before Pharaoh, the most powerful human being on the planet Earth at the time. Again, Pharaoh, all he had to do was say a word and Moses would be put to death. He said, I want you to stand before Pharaoh and I want you to say to him, let my people go. I want you to declare to Pharaoh to let the people that are providing all of the labor for his kingdom free. Now, that wasn't an easy thing for Moses to do. And Moses said, how am I going to prove that I'm from the Lord? And we see in chapter 7 of Exodus verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before him and his servants, 
and it became a serpent. The Lord established the validity of the deliverer of his people through what? A miracle. Miracles expose disobedience. We see in Genesis chapter 19 the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family. Lot and his family were in Sodom and Gomorrah and God spoke to them and said, you need to get your stuff and get out because these people are so evil and vile. I'm going to destroy this city with fire raining down from heaven. And he told Lot, you make sure none of you turn around and look back. Keep your faces forward. Don't turn around and look at the destruction. And we see in verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Her disobedience was exposed through the miraculous. And we see this even in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. We see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were part of this community of believers and they had decided that all of the believers would sell everything that they would own that they owned and give it into this community and it would be distributed to the people as they needed and Ananias and Sapphira had sold a piece of property and Paul asked the husband first he said Ananias is this what you sold the property for are you telling me the truth he said yes he said are you giving all of it to us and he said yes I am and right at that moment he dropped dead this is the New Testament family after Jesus. He died. And he said, Paul said, I don't know why he lied. You were under no obligation to give this money. Just tell the truth. Then they called in his wife, Sapphira, after they took his body out. They said, Sapphira, did you sell that property? She said, yes. He said, did you sell it for this price? Yes, we did. Are you giving it all? Yes, we are. And Paul said, the same men that carried your husband's lifeless body out of this building will carry yours as well. At that moment, the Bible says she ceased breathing. She died as well. It was a miraculous event exposing her disobedience. Miracles break chains of bondage. We see this in the story of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What were they doing? They were inviting the presence and the glory of the Lord. Are you seeing a pattern here with the miraculous? And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. God performed the miraculous through their worship. Miracles and the miraculous power, the working of miracles can cast out demons. We see this in the story of Dagon, this, the false god of the Philistines. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The Philistines had stolen the ark or the presence of God from the children of Israel. You see, before Jesus, God's presence was confined to a piece of furniture. It was, it was confined to the ark of the covenant that was placed within the temple of God behind heavy curtains. And you and I could not just walk into his presence before Jesus' sacrifice. And the Philistine army had stolen God's presence from the children of Israel. And they viewed Jehovah as just another God. And they brought the presence of the Lord into the temple of Dagon. They brought it up, the Bible says, from Ebenezer to Ashtod. And then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up beside this false idol. 
And when the people rose the next day and walked in, they found this false god, this idol, laying down on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. You would think that that would be their first clue. If I walked in and my big giant idol was laid down, I'd be like, oh, look, I, 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 I don't want any of this. Thank you very much. I'm gonna, we're going to course correct. But no, they, they were thick. They, they didn't have it all there. So what did they do? They put the idol back up again. They came back in the next day. And this time, the idol was fallen down before the presence of the Lord, but its head was cut off, and both of its hands were lying cut off on the threshold, and only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. The presence of the Lord destroyed the works of of the enemy and the, demo- the demonic power of this false god. We see this in the story of Paul and the demon-possessed girl in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 and 18. It says, if we were going to the place of prayer, what was happening? Paul and his followers were going into the glory of God. They were going to pray and worship. And they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination And brought her owners much gain by telling fortunes. She had a spirit of divination. Let me warn you. Let me pastor you. If you are going to people who don't have the Holy Spirit. And you are asking them about your future. You better be real careful. If you are opening up the newspaper to read your horoscope. And read the stars. And find out what you should do about today. You better be careful what spirit you're playing around with if somebody is shuffling a deck of cards and showing you pictures to give you direction you better be careful what spirit you're playing with there is a spirit of divination and fortune telling she followed Paul and the rest and she cried out and these men she said these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation she kept crying out about Paul and Silas all of the things that sounded good these are men of God listen to what they say they are leading you to salvation just because somebody says hallelujah it doesn't mean they have the spirit of the Lord she's crying out And Paul, I love this, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. What happened? Paul worked a miracle. Paul didn't didn't massage the demon spirit. Paul didn't play games with the demon spirit. Paul didn't ask the demon spirit little stupid questions. Paul looked at that demon spirit that had that little girl gripped and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And what happened? She was delivered that very moment. Miracles provide for God's children. We see this in the story of the coin in the fish's mouth. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, the disciples had come to Jesus and said, Jesus, we owe taxes. Jesus said, don't don't stress. Don't worry. We're going to pay the taxes that we owe. Go out. Cast your net. You're going to pull in a fish. Open the fish's mouth. There's going to be a little gold coin in there. Take that coin and pay your taxes. How many know that's a miracle? Next time I go fishing, I need to fish more. We see this story of God miraculously providing for his children throughout the Bible. We see it with the children of Israel. We see it with the woman that had the cruise of oil. 
and, 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 and the flower that never ran out. We see God providing using the miraculous over and over again. And as I was preparing this message, I felt the Lord ask me to tell you guys and to give you a word. I believe God is going to transition some of us from a season of needing miracle to miracle to a season of sustained favor. You see, God took the children of Israel when they were wandering in the desert and he gave them miracle after miracle. Manna rained down from heaven and quail came and landed and water came out of a rock and their shoes and clothes never wore out. And the pillar of fire by, or the pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night. God, God used the miracles to take them through their desert season, but he led them into their promised land. And in their promised land, they went from needing a miracle every day to living under the hand of God's sustained favor. Miracles reveal God's mercy. There are so many stories of the mercy of the Lord being revealed through the miraculous. But I want to talk about this man, Naaman, who was healed of leprosy. And since 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 10 through 14, Naaman was a rich and powerful man, and he came to Elisha, and he said, I've got leprosy, and I want you to heal me. And Elisha sent word through a messenger, and he told him, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, the Jordan River was nasty. Nobody wanted to be swimming in the Jordan River. It was nasty. There were closer, cleaner rivers to Naaman. He had to travel a ways. He had to dip in this dirty river. And Elisha said, go dip in this river seven times and when you do you will be healed of leprosy and Naaman wasn't happy about doing that but he did it anyways and God healed him using this miraculous power miracles require obedience look who had to be obedient in this story first Elisha had to obey what the Lord told him and secondly the messenger that Elisha gave this word to had to be obedient and deliver only the word that Elisha gave to this powerful man. And thirdly, Naaman had to overcome his anger and his desire to find the easiest, cleanest way and simply obey the word of the Lord. See, many of us want the miracle without the obedience. We want the miracle without the dirty water of the Jordan. We want the miracle without doing the uncomfortable thing. But miracles always accompany the glory of God. So you may see a miracle. You may even experience a miracle. But you will not walk in the gifts of the working of miracles without a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Miracles won't flow through you without walking in the glory of God. Miracles require slowing down and waiting. People ask all the time, why do third world countries see so many miracles and, and we don't? And one of the reasons is because they know how to wait. I went to India a few years ago and felt the presence of the Lord in ways I haven't felt until we moved into this tent the same glory I felt in the jungles of India is the glory that I feel in this tent. There's a weighty glory. There's something about trekking through a jungle hours and hours and showing up and worshiping. I was led by Indian leaders and I, they told me church started at a certain time and I'd come down from my hotel and I used that term loosely. <laughs> 
I come down from my hotel and I came down to the waiting area and they weren't there. They showed up about an hour later and they said, you want to grab a cup of tea? And I'm like, I thought church started. They're like, you Americans, relax. We get a cup of tea and we're chit-chatting and then we take the slow, leisurely drive. We get there. There are hundreds and hundreds of people standing in a field worshiping God and they'd been worshiping him for four or five hours. Then I get there, they bring me more tea, bring a little food, talk to us for a while. I'm like, are these people not tired? And they're like, you Americans. <laughs> then we get up there and we worship for a couple of more hours and then come up to deliver the word of God. I lay hands on this woman. It's the only person that I laid hands on. I stood up to minister and I felt the wind of the glory of God blow from my back. And it was dead silent in this field. And I had my eyes closed. Worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden I heard this deafening sound, jingling bracelets, hundreds of bracelets, just ching, 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 ching. And the men and the women in that crowd were shaking under the glory. I felt wind blow from behind me, and every person in that room fell down under the presence of God. Just like a wave. You say, I don't believe you, that's your problem. It's the glory of God. I walk over to the woman who was leading this. It's a miracle. That's a miracle in and of itself. They don't have women leading churches. And she led a church of about 2,000 people. But was tried to be murdered many, many times. And nothing they could do would kill her. Every time somebody would come to murder her. Every time a gang would come to beat her. She said it felt like tennis balls barely touching her. And they'd all get saved. So they quit doing it. They'd send militant Hindus to come and beat her. All 200 people would get saved fall down and give their life to Jesus. That's how she built her church. People trying to kill her. And I prayed for her. And when I did, she was laying on her back and she begins to prophesy, Oh, nation of Israel, in perfect English. And I look at the gentleman next to me. They called him Rajubai. And he was the bishop over about 200 churches in Gujarat, India. I don't know if you know anything about India, but when I, t- I, don't, I don't. When I tell an Indian I went to Gujarat, they go, what? <laughs> it's not a great place. And he looks at me and he goes, this is in the Bible. You do not believe the Bible? I felt about that big. Because I said, does she speak English? He said, this is the jungle. Do you think she learned English? And I realized in that moment, one of the reasons that they experienced the miraculous is because no one told them they couldn't. You see, it's always God's plan that we walk with him in the cool of the day. It has always been God's plan that we walk with him in his glory. And when we walk with him in his glory, we walk with him in the miraculous. Why? Because it's not miraculous to God. It's not supernatural to the Lord. It's not beyond his ability. It is perfectly normal for him to move in the miraculous. But many of us have a complete opposite view of God than what the Bible describes. We view him as an angry judge looking for anything and everything he can to find a way to keep us from his glory. 
The American view of God is a judge sitting on his throne just searching for wrongdoings. Uh, an angel that went to law school and is standing with the book of the law and looking like a prosecutor. What can I find? What other crimes can I charge them with? Let me look through the legal code and see where else I can pin something on them. Let me bring accusations before God for the children of the Lord. But Ladies and gentlemen, that is a satanic view of God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it's Revelation 12 and 9, it says this, And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, say the accuser, has been thrown down. He who accuses them day and night before our God. We have believed the lies of the enemy that God is our accuser and not him. The opposite is true. God is looking for ways to welcome you into his presence, and the enemy is looking for ways to keep you out. God created man for communion with him. He created the garden to walk with us daily and for the supernatural to become natural. Satan tried to remove mankind, Adam and Eve, from the garden and from God's presence, and he has never stopped since that moment. He wanted to remove them and us from the source of power from the dynamite from the energy of dynamite he wanted to remove us from his glory how did he do that he brought shame against adam and eve many of us are walking around cloaked in shame and we have every reason to be our sin is shameful proverbs chapter 18 3 it says this sin and shame go together Lose your honor and you'll get scorn in its place. Ephesians chapter 5, 11 and 12 says, Have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Shame is nothing new. Shame started with Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happened? They became aware of their sinful nature. Before that, they were like children. They were unaware that they had any reason to be embarrassed of their nakedness. That's the way God intended them to be. He intended them to be childlike. In Mark chapter 10 verse 15 it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It was always God's plan for us to receive his kingdom like a child. Band, you guys can come up. Until they lost their innocence. This is the, ma the way man received the kingdom of God. The way where we were created to receive it. Totally unaware of our guilt before the Father. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 10 it says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam speaking. And he said, and I was afraid because I was naked. And what did he do? The Bible says he hid himself from God. Some of us in this room are searching for miraculous power, but we have hid ourselves from God. God tried to protect, protect Adam and Eve from the very knowledge of how undeserving they were of communion with him. 
And as soon as they ate of the tree of good and evil, the tree of knowledge, and they received the knowing of how good God was and how evil they were, shame drove them away from his presence and into hiding. You see, shame keeps us from his presence and mercy ushers us in. They tried everything they could in their own power to cover their nakedness or to cover their unholiness. And people have never stopped trying since. All they needed was the knowledge that his mercy was enough to cover it all. If you don't accept his mercy, you will never stop running from his presence and you will never operate in his miraculous power. Let's go back to Moses, that story that we begin with in Exodus chapter 33. You see, you have to understand, we see this story of Moses entering into the tent of meeting and encountering the glory and the presence of God in Exodus 33. But just before that happened in Exodus chapter 32, we see the children of Israel. We see them rebelling from God. Moses had gone up to the mountain. The presence of God had rested on the mountain and Moses was speaking with the creator of the universe. And just in that short time that it took when he came back down, the children of Israel had completely abandoned God. They had thrown their jewelry into a fire and melted it down and created a golden calf, a God they created with their own hands. And they fell down to worship it. You see, so many of us believe that if we could just see miracles, we wouldn't struggle with our faith. One of the biggest questions, most commonly asked questions I get as a pastor is why doesn't God just do miraculous things? Then everybody on earth would believe in him. No, they wouldn't. You see, the children of Israel had spent 40 years living in the miraculous every day, every day food rained down from heaven every day they literally saw the presence of God lead them and guide them and direct them they saw the ground open up and swallow people they saw the Red Sea parted and kill the entire Egyptian army they saw the ten plagues of Egypt they saw their shoes not wore out and their clothes never get old They saw quail land and give them food and water come pouring from a rock. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, but miracles don't produce righteousness. Relationship does. In verse 7, it says, Moses moved the tent of meeting. The place he encountered God's presence afar off from the rest of the camp. He moved God's presence away from his people. Why? Because Moses didn't understand how God's presence could be with such a sinful people. He had yet to receive the mercy of God. He had encountered God in his provision in the wilderness. He had encountered the Lord's power in the face of the Egyptian army. He had encountered his guidance through the sound of his voice, but he had never encountered his mercy. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glorious presence. 
And God responded, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God's response to Moses' request, teach me your ways. Show me your glory. His response was to show him his mercy. God's response to our need for a miracle is to reveal his glorious presence. Mercy was created so that you and your sin could draw near and dwell in his presence. Jesus gave his life on the cross, gave his blood so that we could dwell under the covering of his mercy. Come to tell you tonight, God's mercy is not tired of you. Some of us hear these messages and we think, well, preacher, you don't know me and you don't know what I've done and you don't know how many times I've come to the altar. And you don't know how many times I've asked the Lord to forgive me and you don't know the things that are in my life. You're right, I don't know, but he does. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Do you need a miracle tonight? every head bowed and every eye closed do you need a miracle tonight do you want to operate in the gift of the working of miracles do you have a son or a daughter or a spouse or a friend or a family member so lost and distant from the Lord that the only thing that could draw them back is the miraculous. Do you have sickness in your body that you simply don't have faith for any longer? And you said, God, I've got to have a miracle. Do we live in a city so bound by the spirit of religion and filled with so many people lost and hungry and searching that we could never reach them in a thousand lifetimes. God, we need a miracle. How do we receive a miracle? We accept his mercy. How do we receive a miracle? We walk in his glory. You cannot walk in the glory of God without accepting the mercy of the Lord. Everybody lift your hands. Come on, stand to your feet. Jesus, we all need your mercy. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need the mercy of Jesus. There's not a person in this room that isn't confused at times and doesn't doubt at times and doesn't walk in sin at times. We need your mercy, God. We need your glory, Father. We need your presence. Lord, would you meet us, God? Jesus, would you do the miraculous in our midst? 
I believe that there are a people that are done having good church services. I believe that there are a people that are finished having a form of godliness yet denying the power thereof. I believe that there are people who will no longer be complacent with dancing in his presence without seeing the power of the glory of God. The glory and the miracles are not a thing of the past. They are available right now, tonight. God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. God, we receive your mercy. We receive the mercy of Jesus. Family, family, you don't need me to pray some miracle, miraculous, some, some prayer over you. Just lift your hands and receive his mercy. Come on, if you don't know Jesus, just receive Jesus. Say, Jesus, I receive you in my heart. Jesus, I give you my life. That's all it takes. The lie of the spirit of religion tells you that you've got to jump through hoops. The lie of religion tells you you've got to go through our little 12-step program or 57-step program. The lie of the spirit of religion tells you that you've got to go through a class to be saved. But all you've got to do is call on the name of Jesus. I thank you for saving every person in this room tonight. I thank you for the lost coming to salvation. So God, now that this is a room full of believers, God, drop your glory. Oh, don't, 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 don't spectate tonight. Come on, just, if you've got to close your eyes, close them tight. If you need to walk around the room, walk around the room. If you want to come to the altar, come to the altar. If you need to take a step that makes you uncomfortable, step out in the aisle and lay down in the dirt and crawl in the sand and do whatever it takes. Jesus, we won't leave without your glory. We won't leave without your presence. We won't leave without the miraculous. We need you, Jesus. We need your presence, God. Hey,